listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, this morning we're looking at uh, New Year's. Can you believe that? 2022. This is the year you grow hair, Ben. <laughs> and and that's, that's, that's usually what we uh, think about, is what will this year bring? And, and any t- many times we uh, look at that in comparison to what this last year was. And so we, we tend to identify years by uh, the things that we'd like not to have happen again. So 2021 was the year of coronavirus, right? Again, uh, it was the year of the progressives uh, uh, making changes in our, our culture, the year of great inflation. Who would have guessed that that has back again? Civil unrest, uh, all, all kinds of uh, things happening. For, for me, uh, it was the year of open heart surgery. Who would have ever imagined that? And of uh, trying to recover from uh, all of that. This was also a year of celebration for, uh, for me and for Cheryl. 50 years of marriage, 50 years of ministry, 30 years of here at Village Church, and then retirement. So, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that doesn't happen again, you know? <clears throat> Once is uh, kind of uh, enough. But we're always looking in terms of, you know, the new year, the old year, and some people make resolutions and start, try to plan their year. In fact, we're, we're encouraged all through our lives to make plans for the future, to uh, be thinking about what's yet to come in our preparations of living each day. And uh, I, I, so as I was thinking about New Year's, I thought, okay, let's look and what does the Bible say about New Year's? And uh, so uh, you look in there, and here's, here's what you discover. First of all, uh, you, you discover that the Bible uses year in a very interesting way. Uh, not, not the way that we think in terms of years, things that happen, things that are yet to come on, but uh, year is a way that they put things in, in place at a certain time. Isaiah chapter 6, 1, in the year that King Josiah died, I saw the Lord. Isaiah is saying, this is when my call started, uh, in the year that he died. You remember that year? Of course, nobody does. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's just a mark in time, historically. Also through the Old Testament, you see often the word year using this way. In the third year of King Josiah's reign, or the twelfth year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, uh, as, a, as a time to say, this stuff happened at that particular moment in history, during their reign, during this year. The word year in the Bible is used primarily as a way of identifying an event, uh, a person, something happened to this person, or a moment in time. It happened in that year. Well, when you you think about how does the Bible use the whole idea of, of time, uh, we get into some very interesting passages like the one in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that we're very familiar with that says this. It says, for everything there is a season. Now I looked up that word season. What does that mean? And, and it means uh, there's an appropriate time 
for everything. Everything is appropriate. Not always when we'd like it to be, but everything is appropriate. And there are other moments when everything is not appropriate. And so what he's saying here is there's a time to be born, there's a time to die. It's appropriate at a certain time to be born, and it's also appropriate at another time to to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, to pluck up what is planted. There's there's an appropriate sense of timing when you look at agriculture. Uh, When I was a kid, we always had a garden, and uh, my parents always looked at the uh, uh, farmer's almanac. Because in there, it told you, in Pennsylvania, you, the, th- the second day after Memorial Day is when you should plant your garden. Or the first day, or three days before Memorial Day. There, there was a time when it was appropriate to plant your garden. And the end of July, with a short growing season, it was inappropriate to plant your garden. You wouldn't get any kind of harvest. There's a time to kill and there's a time to heal. That's interesting, it's an appropriate time to kill things, it's appropriate time to to heal things, to bring things together. There's an appropriate time to break things down and an appropriate time to build things up. You know, and that's one of the things we struggle with. When do you end something? When do you break something down? You know, one of the reasons that uh, things, it's hard to make changes is because we value tradition. Uh, Maybe it's appropriate to end some things and appropriate to begin some other things. It, it's a question of, 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 of timing. There's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you laughed at the wrong time? <laughs> and somebody got ticked? <laughs> yeah, I've never had that happen, but... Um, <laughs> there's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance, to celebrate. It's appropriate at time to celebrate, and it's appropriate at time to to mourn, to be hurt over things. There's a time to throw away stones, and there's a time to gather stones together. There's appropriate and inappropriate times. There's a time to embrace, and there's a time to knock it off, to, to, to cease from embracing. You know, embracing is good, unless it's happening at the wrong time. And, and so that gives the per- perspective. There's a time to seek and there's a time to lose. There's a time to keep and there's a time to throw away. Well, at this point in our life, as Cheryl and I are downsizing, we're looking at all the things that we missed the appropriate time to throw away. <laughs> that we still have. And now it's harder and harder to throw this stuff away, right? She finally got rid of my old chair. I miss that chair. (laughs) Cheryl's never found a time that it wasn't appropriate to throw things of mine away. (laughs) And that's okay. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. As I look at some of the uh, jeans that some of you are wearing, Christy, I'm thinking that there are appropriate moments to sew and appropriate moments to have holes in your jeans, right? And the good thing is, is I don't know which is which, so, uh, you know, that's good. Uh, There's a time to keep silence and there's a time to speak. There's a time to love and there's a time to hate. 
Both of those things there's appropriate times for and inappropriate times for. There's a time for war and there's a time for peace. Now here's what he goes on to say. God has made everything suitable or appropriate for its time. And moreover, he's put a sense of past and future into their minds, our minds, yet they cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. Even though we want to figure out what's going on now and what will be going on in the future, we can't. That's what that verse means. But God is the one who makes things appropriate or not appropriate at a given time. So our task is to make sure that we're connecting with what God is doing so that we'll know when it's appropriate for this or when it's not appropriate for that. So we evaluate things on the basis not of positive or negative outcomes, but in terms of God's timing. What, what is God doing? What is he saying it's appropriate for right now, today, the right time? Uh, Galatians 4, we just went through Christmas, and, and this verse tells us that at just the right time, God sent, his, sent forth his son, born of a woman. Listen, Christmas didn't just happen willy-nilly. It happened strategically. It was just at the right time. Now, did anybody guess that was the right time? See, the, the, well, you had Anna, and you had, who did you just preach on the other day? Simeon, they, they had figured it, this was the right time. They were looking forward. You've got these uh, wise men in the east who figured out that this was the right time for a king to be born, judging by the star. But most people missed it, didn't they? Because they weren't connected with what God was doing. Because they weren't connected with God. The Bible uses two words primarily in the New Testament for time. The first one is chronos, and we talked about this before. It's the word from which we get chronological, you know, uh, seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, decades, centuries, millennial, the consecutive uh, ongoing of, of time, how it comes to, to, together. Uh, but by far, the most, uh, the word that is used most of the time for time in the New Testament is the word kairos. And it, it's a word that speaks of moments or of opportunities. Time is not seen in terms of a day or a week or a month, but time is seen in terms of what God is doing right now, at this time, at this moment. In fact, in our lives, there are moments that we need to be in tune with what God is leading us to be doing right then. What's appropriate in this moment and what isn't appropriate? What's he called us to? What hasn't he called us to? in this moment. This is the way by far that the Bible uses this word. Not in years or days or weeks or months, but moments and opportunities in which God is working. He's at work in those moments. Let me give you a few examples of that. There's a song we sing frequently. This is the day that the Lord has made, right? Not yesterday, not Tuesday of next week, but right now, this is the day. In other words, 
you experience God's creative activity in this day, in this moment right now. If you're waiting for God to do something down the road, you're missing it. It's happening right now. Are you aware of it? Are you connected with it? That, that's the, the uh, idea. Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 25 through 34. I'll read this passage. And uh, in just a few weeks, Ryan's going to be preaching on this in the Sermon on the Mount. But li- listen to what uh, it is that Jesus says about, about time. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? It's the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed, your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but strive first for the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Whoa. I'm just thinking about how many hours I've spent planning the future. Five-year plan, 10-year plan, all of those kinds of things. And, and, and Jesus says, listen, if you're going to follow the Jesus way, don't worry about that stuff. Your, your father will take care of that stuff. Worry about right now, this, th- this moment. This is where you're connected to God or you're not. Right now, in this moment. Paul said the same thing in Ephesians chapter 5. He said this, So be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, kairos, making the most of the opportunities, the the moments, because the days are evil. Here's what he means. The, The system of life, the world in which we're living, and, and the, the sense of next week, next month, next year, and all of those kinds of things are, are, are evil. The system is moving this way. You're called to move in a different direction. Your direction is this way. In the opportunities that God is giving you right now. You can't change the future. It's already written. God's already written the future. What you can do is live in the reality of this present moment. Make the most. Do the appropriate thing when? Uh, Right now. Today. Make the most of every opportunity today because the days, the cumulative overview of time is evil. It's moving in this direction. You're called to move in this direction. And you move in this direction moment by moment day by day. I mean, in the Bible, we hear this word all the time, the day of the Lord. 
when you read through the prophets. The day of the Lord. The moment when the Lord appears. That moment. Jesus says, listen, nobody knows when that day is coming. Nobody knows when that day is going to occur. It's, it's going to come like a thief in the night. It's, it's a moment when that's going to occur. So all this planning, thinking about it. Uh, when I first became a Christian, uh, there was a big movement in terms of prophecy back in the 1970s. All of these books that were being written about, you know, when the Lord's coming back, Russia's the Antichrist, you know. Somebody even wrote a, a book, Billy Graham was the Antichrist. I mean, that, that's how weird this stuff got. And, and um, this is saying the day of the Lord, nobody knows about. Don't waste your time trying to think through that. Live within the, his presence right now. I mean, as we went through the book of Hebrews and uh, some of the other New Testament books, we, we heard the phrase, today is the day of salvation. The moment to encounter God is right now. Today is the opportunity. It's appropriate when God speaks to a person's heart to respond right then. Today, today. Uh, over and over and over that phrase is used. In Hebrews chapter 3, uh, we see that. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, as on the day of testing in the wilderness. If you hear God's voice today, do not harden your hearts, but respond. It's appropriate for you to respond to God when he speaks to you today. In other words, we should anticipate every day as an opportunity for God to speak. What's the question? Are we listening? See, whatever you're connected to is where you're gonna, what you're going to pay attention to. That, that tends to be the, the, the principle. If it's your job, you're going to spend your, give your attention there. If it's your relationships, you're going to give your attention there. If it's God, you're going to put your attention there. You're going to listen to what he's saying. Now, obviously, there's all kinds of other things that are taking place. But when God is speaking, along with all these other voices, pay attention to what he's saying. Doesn't mean you don't pay attention to something else, but it means you need to pay attention to what God is saying in the moment in which he's speaking. That's the, that, that's, that's the picture. In fact, Queen Esther, we, we studied that book here a few years ago. Uh, Mordecai says to her, listen, it may be that you were given birth and life to be here as the king's wife right now for such a moment as this. This is the moment. Isn't that interesting? That maybe our lives are all about a moment. We tend to think in terms of 90 years. The Bible thinks in terms of moments. This moment. Which gives me a thought, so why, why are we here in this moment? What, what, what is this moment about right now in your life? Where, where your job is, where your career is, where, where your marriage is, where your kids are. You know, we were thinking through the, the moments the other day. Man, we had uh, 20 years of moments raising our kids. Then we've had 20 years of watching our kids raise their kids and all that stuff. Now we have 20 years of coming to the end, you know, of, you know, everybody's all okay. And now we've got to figure out how to live again in the next 20 years. Uh, you know, what's, what, what is this moment about in these next 20 years? What is this moment about today? Given the realities of where we find ourselves health-wise, what is this moment about? That becomes a huge question. 
that, uh, that every single one of us asks for such a time as that. Jesus, as he was pressured by his disciples again and again and again to dec- disclose to people who he really was, he said this, my time has not yet come. The moment for my recognition of who I am has not yet come. One of the most important things for you and me, for us to uh, be aware of, is when our moment is. What is the moment all about? And is it now? Or when is it? Well, you know what? Who, Who is it that determines that? Who makes everything appropriate in its time? God does. So somehow we need to be connected with God if these questions are going to be answered, don't we? These are not things that you and I can figure out. See, the Bible wants us to see. It wants us to see time as the present moment and to learn to live in that moment with the expectation that here is where we're going to meet God. We're not going to meet God 10 years from now. It's not about getting yourself ready to meet with God. Until you clear up all this crap in your life, you're not going to meet, no, no. The, the Bible wants us to understand uh, time as this present moment and to learn to live in that moment with the expectation that in this moment is where we're going to meet God. That, that's where we're going to encounter God. It doesn't matter where we've been, what we're up to, what's going on in our lives, So this moment this morning, as we're in worship, as we're here listening to God's word, is significant. It's a moment because our expectation is, in this moment, we're going to meet God. That's why we come to worship. That's why I come to worship. I don't come to worship to see you. I I mean, I can see you anytime, right? But as we gather together, our expectation is that this is where we're going to encounter God in a way we don't encounter him any other place. As his people come together. He is present and at work and is inviting me to join him as he accomplishes his will in me and through me. See, that's, that's, that, that's the anticipation, that as God encounters me, I'm going to change. And that God is going to be free then to work through me to impact others around me. That's his will. I mean, that's what we've been learning, isn't it? That's the, 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 the whole idea. Wow, that God works through us. See, this is the whole doctrine or idea of the incarnation. God is with us. Jesus came into the world to communicate that God now is with us. The, the idea is that he never will not be with us. He is with us. And as I've tried to you know, teach through the years, God is in us. God is for us. And God wants to live his life through us. You know, that, that's, that's the doctrine of the incarnation. That's what's unique about Christianity. So how do we live that way? How do, how do we live with that kind of anticipation, with that kind of expectation that, that God is encountering me and, and wants to work in me and through me in this present moment? Well, it seems to me that I, I need to be aware of that. In fact, I need to confess that, that I need to remind myself who I am. Here's what New Year's should be about, to remind ourselves what every day this New Year is going to be about. You know, it's going to be about who I am and who God is. And for me, there is no passage that is more powerful than the 23rd Psalm. 
in reminding me of who I am. Uh, the 23rd Psalm. I mean, ju- just, just think about this. Let me read these words. Christy read them this morning. Let me read them again. The Lord is my shepherd. That's a confession. The Lord is my shepherd. Not somebody else. Not the Lord is an afterthought. Not, not the, Lord is, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long, forever and ever. Now just think about that, what you just confessed. The Lord is my shepherd. What are you saying about yourself? Yeah, there's a thought. I, I, I think it's a bigger confession to say I'm a sheep than it is to say the Lord's my shepherd. Because sheep are not what we want to be. We, we want to be authentic. We, we want to be unique. We want to be competent. We, we want to be self, you know, all those other kinds of words that, that put me in a sense of control of, of my life. I am somebody, and a, a sheep is not somebody. In fact, the Bible tells us all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. I mean, the, the, the sense of control is huge for human beings. I want to do it. I mean, even Frank sang a song about that, right? I mean, my way. And we celebrated. He won an Emmy for, for that song. Yay, I did it my way. Well, you know, yeah. I'm confessing that my way leads me to destruction. There's a way that seems right unto man. And its end is destruction, Jeremiah says. This is talking about a relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. The sheep recognizes that he's in desperate need of someone to care for him, of someone to direct him, someone to guide his or her life. The sheep is saying that I don't know where to find green pastures. I don't know where to find still waters. But I know I need those things so badly, and so I've got to find a shepherd. It's much like in the program, <clears throat> where, where the, the first step is to recognize that I'm powerless over, over this addiction. And if I don't find a power greater than myself, I'm going to live in this insanity forever. I've got to find a power higher. I've got to find God. And this is our confession that says, I found God. It's the Lord. The Lord, Yahweh, Adonai, Yahweh, is my shepherd. 
That's, that's where I, I find myself, and, and I am a, a sheep. If you notice when we read through Psalm 23, all of the action verbs that speak about who's doing what have as their subject the Lord, the shepherd. The shepherd takes care of the sheep. The shepherd does these things. Green pastures, the shepherd finds them. Still waters, the shepherd leads me. You know, all of the things that I need. When, when my life is breaking down, it's the shepherd that anoints my head, that heals me, that, that puts medication on me. When I find myself in a death, difficult spot and I sense the enemies are around me, it, it's the shepherd who puts together a banquet and says, hey, let's eat, let's enjoy life. Don't worry, I got this covered. The shepherd does all of that. It's not the sheep ends up do, taking care of themselves. It's the shepherd does. The action is on the shepherd. And the outcome happens as the sheep follows. As the sheep follows the, the action, it works, it works out. Wow. So, so the key is remembering who we are every moment in this relationship and trusting the shepherd. That's why this confession is so important every day. Because we're prone to, we're prone to forget and wander and do our own thing. The Lord is my shepherd, is what he says. Living in this perspective of the shepherd, the shepherd is, sees the, the green pastures, the still waters. The shepherd sees the, the need for a, a banquet. The, the shepherd takes care of me even when I find myself in difficult straits. He's there with me. He's got all the things I need that are going to, that are going to protect me, keep me safe, and, and comfort me. That's his perspective. It's okay. We tend to worry. We, we, we tend to fret. We tend to be distressed. We tend to have fear. We tend to have all of those kinds of things that Jesus came to, to remove. The shepherd, he's cool. He's got everything taken care of. He's got the whole world in his hands, the song says. And so we need to trust. We need to trust in the shepherd leading us and our following. See, this is an everyday, moment-by-moment moment relationship. And here's the neat thing about Christianity. You can start over every single day. This, this confession is a daily kind of thing. So let's say you wandered yesterday. It was Christmas. A lot of people wandered. New Year's Eve, even more will wander. You know what? The next day, the Lord is my shepherd. You can confess. that If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know when that verse is good for? Every single day. Every single moment of every single day. The shepherd will never abandon the sheep, even when they wander away. In fact, the good shepherd, in John chapter 9, Jesus says the good shepherd will even lay down his life for the sheep. That's how committed the shepherd is to the sheep. We discover as we keep reading through the shepherd passages, this is true because the shepherd loves the sheep. This isn't just a, a business proposition. This is the shepherd really loves the sheep. The good shepherd loves the sheep and lays his life down. Now, just a couple thoughts. 
as, as we think about this, as we enter into the new year, uh, as I'm suggesting living moment by moment, not as we think about the cumulative days and weeks and months and years. Sometimes we get so focused on the future that we lose sight of the reality that God is with us now in this present moment. That's easy to do. It's easy to do. Because the future seems so important to us. Uh, whether we've been told that from the time we were little kids, you know, work hard in school so you can go to college so you can get a good job and, you know, all of those kinds of things. And so our focus is out there on getting that good job. So, sometimes we focus so much on the future that we forget the reality that God is with us right now in this moment. It's either real right now or it's not. It's not like God's going to be real as soon as you get that job. Man, God's real right now when you're in eighth grade. God's real right, right now when you're in college. God's real right now when you're looking at getting married. God's real wherever you are in life. God is real right now. Now, the more we focus on out there, the less we are aware that God is present right now. That, that's why the psalmist says, you know, today, when, when you hear his voice, don't, don't harden your hearts. Don't get thinking about all this other stuff that you, you can't even hear God's voice. Never get out so every day you confess, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm his sheep. We recognize who, who, who we are. See, following, here's a second thought. Following implies that he is active. I can only follow someone who's leading. God is active. He's moving in a direction. I'm following him. It's either yes or no. If I don't sense that God is moving, it's hard for me to follow him. And if I don't sense he's moving, then it probably means I'm not connected with him. Because what God is always doing is always working. He's always moving. He's not fixed. I mean, we'd, I'm always so amazed at these theologians who have everything worked out. <laughs> Systematic theology. Here's the way it is every single time. And then God does something that blows their theory. Listen, that's what God loves to do. He loves to do it a new way all the time. And we're either connected with what he's doing. Now, it's not that he's going to forget about the way he has been doing things. He's not going to be inconsistent with anything that he's ever said in Scripture. But the way that that's going to work out in our lives may be unique to us. So we need to be very connected with him. Following implies that he is active and I am responding. See, it's one thing to say God is at work. It's another thing to say I'm following. Where he leads me, I will follow. Anywhere with Jesus, I will gladly go. Wow. He's leading and I'm following, I'm responding. So the issue of control, self-will, autonomy, and self-determination, I've got to figure out how to deal with. Because we have those in spades. We have those things. We want to control. Some of you are really control freaks. Aren't we? To give up control, to follow, is not easy. 
especially when you're given leadership responsibilities and now we're told we're a sheep. Who wrote this stuff? You know, I mean, <laughs> notice David wrote it before he was king, right? He wrote it was a little shepherd boy. But see, this is our, our issue to deal with. Control. Self-will. I want what I want and I want it now. Self-will. Autonomy. Man, I'm just part of the flock. I'm just part of the herd. I'm just, you know, I'm not in charge. I'm, I'm, and self-determination. We're surrender. We, you know, I think one of the reasons that we are so moved emotionally whenever we sing that song, I Surrender All, is because we know we're not. But we know we have to get there. That, see, and these are the issues that, that discipleship deals with. It teaches us how to surrender. It teaches us how to give up self-will. It teaches us how to give up control and autonomy. And one of the ways it does is to remind ourselves every single day of who we are and who God is. He's the shepherd. I'm the sheep. Every single day. Because we're prone to wander. Man, we got it in us. I don't know why God put that in us, but that, that's part of the rebellion nature. Prone to wander. We, we resent being told what to do. I mean, just think about wearing masks. God, I hate that. You know, don't you? It's so uncomfortable. First of all, I can't breathe with them, but uh, other than that, but you see, we, we, we've, we've got to surrender. The, the, why would you make this a big deal? Everything in life is about surrender. I mean, I don't want, I don't want to, Cheryl and I are doing a lot of cooking together. I know how to cook. She doesn't even cut vegetables the right way, you know I mean? But uses the wrong knife. You know what? Learning how to surrender enriches everything. It makes it, it, makes it better. Every, every, learning how to surrender, that, that's a big part of, of this every single day. The Lord is my shepherd. See, I, I encourage you, Here's the last thought. To add the 23rd Psalm to your daily process of, of devotional life. We, we've got the Lord's Prayer. We, we've got uh, the Prayer of St. Francis. And now we have the 23rd Psalm. Man, I, I just think that's so important. Every day, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm his sheep. To remind ourselves of, of who we are. In fact, I think as we end this morning, I, I think we should, uh, we should say these words together. Is it on the screen, the 23rd Psalm? Oh, there it is. It's in two parts. So read this with me, would you? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me 
all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.